The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. I hate mediation. Let me repeat, I hate it. There's nothing about it that I like. On the other hand, I go through it on every single case mainly because the court demands it, but also because sometimes it works. That doesn't mean I like it. I don't. I hate it. Now, you can hate something and be really nice to it at the same time. I might not like somebody, but if I'm present, if they walk past, I'm going to be super polite. I'm going to treat them courteously and respectfully and be super nice. I'm not going to cut them dead. Rarely will I ever do that unless I really, really hate them, which there's not very many people that fit that category in my life. So today we have a mediation and going into it, I pretty much know it's going to fail, but still going to go through the process, see what happens. We select a mediator that is not my choice. I know nothing about the mediator. I have no thoughts positive or negative about the mediator, but I have concerns and I tell the defense what the concerns are because I believe in being upfront. My concerns are as follows. Number one, I need a really strong mediator because I am in pain in the butt. I am just a person that doesn't like to mediate. So I need someone that's going to push back that I can respect and that I will sometimes listen to won't happen all the time, but I sometimes will. I need that type of mediator for me other than Gary Bloom and still my allegiance to John Cooper and a couple others. I like the judges. Now, in reality, a lot of the judges aren't as good of mediators as some of the longtime mediators that are former attorneys. They don't have the skill set. They haven't developed uh, all of the twists and turns of being a mediator. Maybe they're too new at it. But I don't talk back to judges. I'm old school that way. I respect judges. If you want to mediate with me, this is an egocentric thing. That is absolutely true. Don't pick a mediator who you like, regardless of how they're going to interface with me. And that's what happened here. The attorneys for the defendant, a governmental defendant, really liked this one mediator who was not a judge. And I said, well, that's fine then. If you want to use that person, let's go for it. I had no prejudgments, but I did tell them, again, this could be a problem with me. Well, indeed it was. And I think that there's some lessons that can be learned from this disaster of a mediation uh, as we go forward. 
especially for mediators that may be listening to this podcast. Number one good idea for a mediator is to check in with you first. So I think, I guess what I'm going to be talking about today is the difference between what I consider to be a really good, great mediator and a not so good version of the mediators. I only want to work with really good mediators at this point of my career. I don't have the patience to work with a suboptimal or one that just doesn't fit my style. They could be a really good mediator, but not for me. Number one, check in first. It's just like such a basic rule. Mediators get paid a lot of money to mediate. It takes but five minutes to call the attorneys up ahead of the mediation to see if there's anything that they need to know. Any particular little nuance. You're always going to find an answer to that. We have to submit our materials in writing and we do that and they're formal and they're heavy and they're well-written and they're supported by all, you know, in our case, we hyperlink everything. It's super um, easy to use and super thick and detailed. But you want to get a sense of who the person is you're dealing with and what they want out of this and what they think is going to happen, especially when they're a craggy old attorney like me. Check in first with the lawyers. All of the mediators that I know that are good do this. They have always called me in advance, not emailed, called. That is the first clue that separates mediators that are going to go that extra step and mediators that are going through the motions. Number two. When you come into the mediation for the first time, and let's say that there's multiple parties as there were in this case, let's say that there are eight plaintiffs in this case, which is the same number I had in another case recently. Well, in the other case, which was handled by a judge, one of the best, if not the best judge mediator, pre-Callis, she took the time to greet each person personally, to say words, to connect, to have some kind of a relationship foothold, even if it was just superficial with those clients. She made an attempt. In her case, she is empathetic and it, and it was very good. You don't want to be overly Mm, catering. You don't want to be, um, you know, in somebody's face. They're, they're total strangers to you. They don't, you know, they, they have their boundaries, but you want to let them know that you care, that you see them as an individual and that you are here to do a job that maybe will help them uh, as they move forward. You make some attempt to make this connection. Well, today, no such attempt was made. Instead, the mediator said they weren't going to do that and then proceeded to, to just kind of recognize what the case was about and issue some platitudes about it. Platitudes aren't good in mediation and platitudes when you're talking about a plaintiff 
instead of actually connecting with them and finding out what happened or how they're doing, platitudes suck. Now, in fairness, I often tell my clients, yeah, don't talk to the mediators, except they're going to ask you how you're doing. Go ahead and answer that question. Here, no attempt was made. Warning signs are going off in my head from the very beginning of this mediation that is not going to go well. Number four, professional confidence. I'm not saying that you have to be stuck up or egotistical or narcissistic to be a mediator. I'm not saying that you have to be overbearing and dominate the room with your majesty. But you can't have a worried look on your face. A puzzled or hesitant look. Someone like me is a barracuda. I can smell the blood. I can smell the fear. Even if it's not really fear, it's just they don't know you. Because they may know time to take up the phone and call you for five minutes. The next problem in a mediation is when the mediator leaves after having made no contact or connection with either you or your clients and is gone for an hour or so, which is typical, right? Always typical. Not that that's unusual, unfortunate, but not always unusual. And comebacks and does this. Number one, the defendant says, blah, 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 blah. And they feel blah, 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 blah. And they're satisfied with their conduct, blah, 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 blah. And they have investigated blah, 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 blah. And with all the other cases that they've had, they have always blah, 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 blah. Okay. So what happens when that, that little dynamic occurs is this. Number one, you, the mediator, have no power to decide any of the facts of the case. It's not your job. Nothing you do is going to help vindicate anything. You are not a fact finder. You are, you do not have the power to enter findings of fact. You don't have the power to enter conclusions of law. You don't have the power to make a difference with respect to the case itself, how it turns out. Some mediators say, well, this is, a, this is a way for the plaintiff to be able to have their say in front of a neutral third party. It's similar to a day in court. There, it's, it's nothing remotely similar to the day in court. Nothing even remotely, remotely similar to having a day in court. When the mediator comes in and spends 10 minutes telling you the defendant's thoughts and feelings and position, That bothers me. Why? Number one, I didn't ask for it. 
That's probably the biggest one because I don't care. I don't care what the defense has to say. All I care about is what we're here for in a mediation. Is the case going to settle? How much are you going to offer? That's the only reason for a mediation settlement. So I didn't ask to hear all that. Number two, I didn't need you to tell my client that. Client has been traumatized and injured. And now you're going to go and tell them all that crap. You, a total stranger on their terms, they told you how they wanted you to say it. And you're going to parrot it to the clients, injuring them even more. There are some attorneys that do not ever prepare their clients. They just give them pie in the sky expectations. A client comes in and is devastated when it turns out that no, that million dollar case is worth about $15,000. And the mediator has to work hard to educate the client that, yeah, that was the case was never good. That doesn't happen in my office because, and it doesn't happen in, it shouldn't happen in most plaintiff lawyers office, but it certainly doesn't happen in mine. One reason is because as a defense lawyer of nine years, I'll tell him all the problems with the case ahead of time. I think it's better for a client to be warned and be forearmed with knowledge of the good parts of the case and the hard parts of the case. So you're not educating the client. You're just spewing the defense position to try to intimidate and beat down the client. I find this extremely disrespectful. You didn't ask me if you could do it and you didn't exercise your own discretion as to whether you should do it. You just decided that that's what they told you and that's what they wanted to tell the message they wanted to send and you delivered it. That really makes me mad. Then after doing that, which is bad enough, you say these magic words. Well, I have an offer, but it's really low. Okay, period. Let's stop right there. I have an offer, the initial offer, but it's really low. Okay, number one. So why are you giving it to us if it's too low? You know, it's bad. You know, it's not a good thing. You know that it's not going to get a good reaction from us, in particular me. So why are you going to give it? The answer is you should not give it. Why did you tell us what the defense wanted you to tell us? And why did you give us that first horrible number? The answer, well, I haven't pushed back yet. I'm going to be pushing back in the future is not good enough. That's a terrible answer. It makes it look like you are buddies with the defense. You're scared of engaging with the defense. You need to engage with that crap at the very beginning. You know what I like in a mediator is when they say, Yeah, they wanted to give a low offer. And I said, absolutely not. And I've been working with them. I know that you won't accept it. Darn right. A good mediator 
doesn't let the defendant control the narrative and offer a crap amount of money that's never that's so low as to be a total gut punch to a plaintiff. Now, when you get that first terrible offer in a case, and sometimes, you know what, even a good mediator is going to end up with a terrible gut punch offer, but at least they're going to say, this is terrible. And I try to talk him out of it. I told him not to do this. I warned them not to do this. So here's the next thing that typically happens for me. I walk out the door with the client. Okay. Can't make such a good sachet out the door when you're on Zoom, but also easier. You just hit click leave. The good thing about being a judge is I won't just click leave. Now I have in the past. (laughs) I once did it on a sexual assault case with Judge Stephen Scott. I really like. We're doing the sexual assault case. The amount comes in. It's a beautiful day. I want to go for a run. I've been wasting my time. And I tell the client, this is ridiculous. We're going to go and we leave. He then calls back and says, Karen, where are you? Because this is when we were physically present. We sashayed out of there when he was in the other room. I said, well, we left. Well, they want to keep negotiating. Well, fine. They can keep negotiating. That I don't do anymore because you know what? He did a really good job of explaining to me how offended he was. And I kept thinking, well, he was a judge. He was a judge. And so I am way more unlikely to walk out if there's a judge than if there's not a judge who's a mediator. It's just the old school of me. It's like, you know, I still call people Mr. and Mrs. that I knew for a long time. I can't call them by their first names. Same for a judge. I just, even if they're no longer a judge, I just still call them a judges. It's, it's in my DNA that I give this level of respect, no, no matter how much I could train myself out of it. So I'm going to give it to the judge. If I'm going to walk out, I'll tell them in advance. But that's not true for anyone that's not a judge except for Gary Bloom. I won't do that to him either because he scares me. (laughs) All right, but we don't, we didn't walk out. Nope, didn't walk out because I'm thinking there's something, but you know what, they're fine. They'd be fine if we walked out at this point. They probably just say, well, we tried. Well, I want them to suffer. I want them to have to go through the exercise, which is mediation, which is what we're supposed to be doing. They wanted to mediate. This is going to count as mediation. Mediation means you try. So I don't give in to just walking out all the way. I'll explain that. We counter offer by just minusing out this piddly amount offered from our initial demand. And then we walk out. Now, how do we walk out? This is the second time I've done this. 
but never so dramatically. Mm-hmm. Because on this call, in addition to our eight clients, there were two of our paralegals and there were five attorneys who were working on the case. Six, including co-counsel. Five from my office, six, including co-counsel. Everyone except the youngest attorney, who's going to be our lead mediator and one other attorney supporting him, who's our second to the youngest in terms of years practice. In fact, the youngest attorney has been practicing for eight months. All of us leave and uh, continue to participate by text, text group. We just make another group. So when the mediator comes back, actually the mediator pops back uninvited because they see, first of all, that eight clients have all departed. Not time yet, not time yet. When she does come back, there will be two attorneys left. Now you shouldn't think, well, the mediation's now over because it's not. We're going to go until that day ends. We're going to sit there and go through the exercise that's mediation. Our clients will participate, but they won't be traumatized further. This does not a happy mediator make, but we are not in the business of making friends with mediators. As a plaintiff lawyer dealing with a governmental entity, the reality is that it's always an unequal power situation. The government is always bigger than the plaintiff law firm and their combined plaintiffs. And that's an understatement. They have more people, they have unlimited funds, And they have power that's been cultivated over years and decades. If you want to play their game, feel free. I don't. A mediator needs to be fair in appearance and indeed it is unfair in appearance when a mediator spends 10 times as much time in the room of a government, for example, than with the plaintiffs. Now, sometimes it's just, that's just the way it is because the defense needs more work. They're the ones that need to move more. It's almost always the case. And maybe that works if you tell the plaintiff so and communicate well. But just to be gone for that long and then come back and spout the propaganda that a defense wants a plaintiff to hear so that they'll be intimidated and subtle, that's unacceptable. I hate mediations, but sometimes they work. Today it didn't. And I'm glad. Onwards we go towards a trial over and out.